If you will fail your way to greatness, most people allow their fear of failure to outweigh their desire to succeed. When you're willing to fail again and again and again, when you make up your mind to become unstoppable, when you make up your mind to become a no matter what person, then that will then give birth to a part of yourself that you don't know right now. How to fire your boss, build a full-time career, and live life on your own terms with investing in real estate. You are listening to the Amputee Investor Podcast. Husband, father, and dangerously handsome. Here's your host, Miles Berrio. Hey, what's going on, guys? So welcome to another episode on the Amputee Investor Podcast. And this episode, I'm really excited, actually, because I'm going to be bringing this sort of new series to the podcast. Every once in a while, I'm just going to throw in like terminologies and definitions, right? Because when I first got started, man, there were a lot of words that were thrown around when I was really kind of learning and growing and just like, what does that even mean? You know, you'll listen to a podcast episode or someone explaining and they're like, yeah, you know, the P-I-T-I or, you know, you'll see P-O-V or C-O or something like that. And you're just like... What, dude, what? And no one really takes the time to explain that. You kind of have to figure it out. So again, I want this podcast to just be super informative and I want it to have a lot of value. And I know for the newest person getting started, it's going to have a lot of value for you to be able to learn different terminology. So um, I'm like, I'm going to be explaining these in my own terms, right? These are This is my explanation. So it's not necessarily the textbook, but it is accurate. It is what it is, but I'm just explaining it in a way that I would if I was just talking to like a family member or a friend or something like that. So we're going to go over 10 words right now. Now, 10 terms, definitions that you definitely need to know as you're moving along your journey in real estate investing. So uh, the first word is wholesaling or assignment, right? So wholesaling or assignment. Now it's uh, basically those words are used interchangeably, but they're the same thing. Um, and it's really an exit strategy, right? So you can buy a property and then you can decide what to do with it. And a lot of times the cool thing about this is you're not actually buying the property. You're getting it under contract to buy, but it's an exit strategy. It's a dispo. You're you're wholesaling, you're assigning. It's your way of making profit on the deal. So what is wholesaling? It's actually very simple. It's getting a property under contract with a seller at what you would call a wholesale price to then wholesale or assign the rights for an end buyer to buy that property at a higher price. So for example, if there's a property that you have under contract with a seller for $100,000 and you find an end buyer, doesn't matter who it is, it could be a hedge fund, it could be an individual, a fix and flipper, a buy and hold investor, a friend, a, you know, your mom, your sister, a cat, dog, doesn't matter. You have an end buyer who wants to buy the property at let's say $105,000. That means you are wholesaling or assigning this property for $5,000 that you're going to make net. Now, I'm not going to dive into all the nuances and all the things on how to wholesale that stuff because that's not what this podcast episode is for. Definitely other episodes will cover that, but this is just kind of giving you the definition. So that's wholesaling slash an assignment. You're wholesaling or assigning the rights for someone to buy this property and you are making the net sort of amount of what you have it under contract with to who you're selling the property or assigning that property to and as the end buyer, whatever that difference is, 5,000, 10,000, guys, even up to hundred fifty to $200,000 assignments that are out there, which is crazy, it is definitely possible. And you don't even have to buy the property. You go under contract, you find someone else who wants to take over that contract. Basically, again, you're assigning the rights for them to buy that property. So 
Moving, moving along to the second definition. Now, a lot of times you're going to see this if you're like looking online or if you're just, you're looking at text, you, you might see the acronym COE. So that means close of escrow. Now, again, we're not going to dive into a ton of details about this. It's just giving you just general definitions so you understand what that means. So close of escrow essentially just means, again, if you're closing on a property, right? If you're buying a property or selling a property, you're generally going to use a closing attorney or a title company. Now you're going to open up escrow. It's like this, an account for that property where there's an escrow agent, someone who's managing, you know, the sale of that property. And it's called opening up escrow, right? You generally have maybe earnest money. Now I might be throwing a lot of things in there again that you might be like, wait, what is this? What is that? So let's maybe dial it back. So let's just go back to the idea of your closing or you're buying or selling a property close of escrow. When you just see C O E, it just means that that property closed. It's the close of escrow. If a property is supposed to be actually sold. So like, you know, buyer and seller are signing closing documents and money's wired and transferred on, let's say January 15th, then that means January 15th of, let's say 2022, that's close of escrow. The property closed on that day. So it's done deal. Everyone did what they needed to do. And the seller got the money they needed and the buyer got the property they wanted, whatever the case may be. It's the close of escrow. The property is sold. So the next definition is called title search. So you'll hear this, especially if you're, you know, wholesaling, but I mean, you'll really hear it in general, but a lot of times, you know, sellers might ask, Hey, how fast can I close? How fast can I close? And I like to always say it just depends on the title search. It just depends on when title comes back. Now title, that is, it's not an actual physical document. Like the deed is an actual physical document, but title is basically, it's basically like the record of, um, of transaction of this property, right? So when you, when someone runs a title search, they're trying to see what the record of the transaction is, you know, were there any sort of gaps or there any incorrect or any errors in terms of transferring this property from one person, the next person, and one person, the next person. So if you're wholesaling, you know, you're going to take, let's say you have a property under contract, or let's just say you're a buyer, you're wanting to buy a property, right? You're going to take that contract that you have with the seller and you're going to go to a closing attorney or a title company and they're going to go run title, which means they're just going to do a search. They're going to see what is what report comes back on, you know, are there any liens? Are there any issues? Is there just anything, you know, that's a that's a red flag with this property? That's what a title search is, right? So that, that's what that is. So uh, definition number four is due diligence period. Okay. So due diligence period, a lot of times again, now, of course you can get that in commercials. You know, if you're going to buy a 50 unit apartment complex, you're going to have a due diligence period where you're going and looking at all the different units. And you know, you're, you're, it, there's a due diligence period. It kind of sounds like what it is. It's a period where you're going to go do your due diligence. So in wholesaling, a lot of times wholesalers use that period to go find an in buyer, right? So they'll go under contract with a seller and they'll have like a 10 or 15, you know, business day due diligence period. And within that period, that's when they're going to go look for a buyer because if they can't find a buyer within that time, they can basically either go back to the seller and renegotiate or they can back out of the contract and they get their earnest money that they originally deposited, um, you know, uh, and, and actually get that back, you know, and again, I'm trying to avoid going into, you know, too many weeds, but just understand that due diligence period, the definition of that is in itself. So we're not, you know, kind of going into a bunch of holes here. Due diligence period is the period that you do the due diligence on a property, whether you're looking to buy a property and you have it under contract, but you're going to go look at, okay, is the foundation, you know, good? Or is it going to, or is the foundation like, you know, so jacked up that now, you know, the numbers that we originally thought about aren't going to really work, right? So you got to do your due diligence. Now you might be thinking, well, Miles, why wouldn't you do your due diligence before you go under contract? Well, 
it's actually somewhat of a strategy, and I always teach this, is that you really want to go under contract first and you want to tell the seller, look, I, you know, I totally get how you want us to go look at the property and do our due diligence before we go under contract, but we try to avoid spending a lot of time, you know, underwriting and doing due diligence and going to look at a property. If we don't even, if, if we're not even in the same ballpark of a price, you know, to sell the property for us to buy it. So we gen- we generally like to see if we can, if we're in the ballpark and we go under contract so that we know, you know, Hey, if we're spending time and effort to go do our due diligence, at least we're ready to close if it actually makes sense. So I'm just I just threw that out there, guys, as a little tip with, you know, negotiation. If you have a seller that's like, hey, you go do your due diligence first and then we go under contract. It's like, no, 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 We don't want to waste a lot of time doing a lot of due diligence, you know, because then if we do our due diligence and it's not something that, you know, we, you know, we go back to you and you're like, hey, we want a million dollars for the property. And we obviously know we can only pay, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. That's just a waste of time for us to have to go, you know, have gone through all the due diligence. So let's go under contract. Let's see if we can come to an agreement, at least, you know, uh, in a price range. We don't need a necessary be exact on the number, but we need to know at least that we're in the same ballpark and they will do that due diligence. So it really helps you to get a property under contract first. And then you use that due diligence to be able to find an end buyer. Um, but again, not going in too much of the strategy in that. That's just what due diligence means. Now, um, another word, number five, def- definition number number five is POF. So I remember I used to see that. I'll see like POF, you know, uh, someone might say, hey, you know, uh, we need POF. You're like, what the heck? What is POF? POF stands for proof of funds. Okay. Proof of funds. Again, I'm not going to go into a ton of details of that. You know, how do you get proof of funds? What it looks like, all that stuff. But essentially, it's just proof that you have the capability to be able to execute on this property for you to be able to buy this property. Okay, so that's what proof of funds is. Hey, what's going on, guys? So I just want to take this moment to really thank you for taking time out to listen to this podcast, and I really hope it's giving you a lot of value. Now, I don't want to take this time to just try and sell you some sort of ad. I actually want to take this time to really encourage you. Again, I want this podcast and the show to really stand out. So after this quick message, we'll continue with this episode. See, a lot of us, because of our limited vision of ourselves, a lot of us who begin to focus on problems and enable them to overwhelm us, we begin to think that we have no options. We begin to believe that there's no way out. Well, guess what? There's always a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. We have two primary choices in life. We can either accept conditions as they exist, or we can take the responsibility to change them. See, a lot of people want to exempt themselves from taking responsibility. All they want to do is talk about the problem. Every time you see them, they'll tell you their story over and over and over and over again. No, no. You want to take responsibility for your life. I got me here. I can get me out of this. And I'm getting out. I'm not going to be a volunteer victim. I'm unstoppable. This will not get me down. You've got to make those kind of declarations to yourself. I have never met anybody who became incredibly successful in any area of their life until they had suffered and sweated and sacrificed and kept their focus and fought through tears and trials and tests. And if you have a dream and you commit to it, it will come to pass. Now, uh, definition number six, you'll see that H-U-D or HUD. So a HUD document is basically a document that shows 
the entire transaction of a property. So when you close on a property, you know, um, uh, and a closing attorney, they'll have, or a title company, they'll have the HUD document that shows, okay, this is what the seller's receiving. This is what the buyer's paying. These are the fees, you know, the attorney fees, or, you know, this is what the title search fee was. This is what this fee, all the, I mean, it's just a document that shows all of the th- different things that are associated with the closing um, of a property. Now, remember, COE, close of escrow. So when you have a close of escrow, there's going to be a HUD document that generally follows. Now, sometimes, you know, some uh, closing attorneys or attorneys, they'll, they'll send out a sort of like preliminary HUD for you to review. A lot of times they should do that, right? They should send you a HUD so you can look at that HUD and go, okay, these are all the fees. These are all the fees. Everything makes everything looks good. Okay, then now let's go ahead and close this property, close of escrow. So you see, I'm kind of tying in some of these things, right? Um, but that's essentially what a HUD document. Now I'm going to throw in another detail here, just kind of another bonus for you guys, is if you are wholesaling a property and, uh, or sorry, if you are wholesaling properties, one of the things you want to look for is not only a closing attorney or, or title company that's investor friendly, but you also want to find an attorney that's going to do a separate buyer and seller HUD document. So a lot of times when a property's closed, there's just this HUD that just shows buyer and seller and it has like, you know, two sides and it shows everything that's going on. Now, if you're wholesaling a property and let's say you're about to make 30 or $40,000 on a wholesale deal. You know, again, it depends on how transparent you are with your your buyers and your your transactions. Now, the way we run our business is the sellers know and the buyers know what we're doing. But for most wholesalers out there, they really want to keep that stuff, you know, uh, pretty confidential. And even sometimes if you are being transparent, you still want to keep it confidential anyway, just for the sake of business, right? Because some people just don't have the right mindset. And they're like, bro, you're making a hundred grand or 50 grand or 30 grand, whatever it is on this deal. And you're not buying it. You're not, you know, renovating it, whatever the case may be. So one way to protect yourself from not having to do a double close, which is another term that we're not going to talk on this uh, series. Again, I'm going to do these regularly. I'm just trying to throw 10 in there. So not, not to overwhelm you, I'm going to do another one and another one, just going through a bunch of definitions. But in, to avoid you having to do a double close or a buyer kind of freaking out or a seller being upset or whatever, you can you, you want to leverage a closing attorney or title company that does a buyer and seller separate HUD document. So what that means is each seller and buyer gets a HUD that only shows what it is that they're either making or what it is that they're either spending. So it's called a a separate buyer and seller HUD. So it's a great, great, um, so basically when you're under contract with a seller, the HUD document is going to show what you guys had. And then with the buyer, the HUD document is going to show between you and the buyer. It's two separate documents. And it's great because just no one's looking over each other's shoulders or on other people's paper. And it's just everyone's happy. So for every assignment I've ever, ever done in my life, I've always leveraged a closing attorney that had a buyer and seller separate HUD document. And it's definitely been um, very advantageous. I've never had to worry about doing double close or buyers and sellers being upset. So Wanted to throw that out there about the HUD document. Now, uh, definition number seven. Definition number seven, on market, off market. On market, off market. So you're going to hear that and it's like, okay, what does that mean, right? So again, to make this very simple, you know, very, uh, very basic on market, kind of sounds like what it sounds like. It's a realtor who is listing a property for a seller on market, right? So if I'm a buyer, I can either look for properties off market or go on market, go on the MLS, you know, go online and see what's listed. So anything that's listed with a realtor or listed on the market that is called on market. Now, off market properties are the exact opposite. It's properties that are available for sale that are not on the market. They're not listed anywhere. It's off market, direct to seller. A lot of times you'll hear that as well. So that's what that is. Definition number eight, 
it's actually also an acronym you'll you'll hear a lot, especially if you're in the creative financing world. You'll hear, okay, hey, you know, what's the PITI or here's the PITI. What is PITI, right? Almost sounds like, the you know, I don't know, some kind of rendition of a rapper TI. PITI, right? PITI is principal interest taxes and insurance. Principal insurance taxes and insurance. Now, that is basically the total mortgage payment that you're going to be paying out that you want to take an account for, especially if you're going to be doing creative deals, right? So if some seller has a mortgage on their property, they generally are paying principal and interest, right? Now that's that principal payment and the interest, right? Because of the loan that they have on their property. But anybody who owns real estate has property taxes and they should obviously be insured and they have insurance. So you may not have those numbers with the PI that you're looking at. So you need to make sure if you're ever looking at a deal in your underwriting, you have all four of those things. What is the total PITI, principal interest, but also what are the pr- the property taxes, which you're generally going to get a year, a yearly number, right? If you look it up, it's probably going to show what the, the, the taxes for that year on that property is. You want to divide it by 12. That gives you the monthly taxes that that person or you are going to be paying. And then same thing with the insurance. It's usually by the year and you're going to divide it by 12 to see what that is on a monthly basis. So PITI, you're, that's the total mortgage payment, principal interest, but also includes taxes and insurance principal interest and also includes taxes and interest. Now, interest is obviously like the interest on the loan, right? So if I go to the bank and I'm buying a house for $150,000 and they give me a loan for it, you know, uh, I put maybe, I don't know, 5% down or 10% down, whatever that rest of, you know, from the down payment, the rest of that, that they're going to be lending out, you know, at let's say three and a half or four and a half percent interest. That's again, what's the interest payment, you know, or sorry, what's the interest on that loan? So that's what PITI is. Now, Definition number nine, rent to own, rent to own. Now, this is really, really cool. This is also a exit strategy. Now, some people kind of use this as a um, way to you know buy a property. I wouldn't really leverage this to buy a property, but you definitely can leverage this to sell a property because rent to own, you also will hear it sometimes as lease option. So it kind of sounds like what it sounds like, rent to own. You're giving someone the ability to rent the property with the option to buy it later. So that's why I think lease option is actually a much better way of kind of explain or saying that, you know, uh, that strategy because lease option really is what it is. It's leasing the property and giving the person the option to buy it you know, in the future. Now, again, I'm trying to avoid to go too in depth with this because it's the whole strategy and I don't want to go too in depth, but just understand essentially how that works is, you know, let's say you own a property um, and you're not necessarily going to sell it to the seller right away or sorry, you know, to the interested buyer right away. Um, but you're definitely willing to let them do a lease option. So what that means is they can lease the property and there's an option fee. So let's say the option fee is like $5,000. What that fee does is it locks in the purchase price. Even if the market goes up or down, it locks them into that price. If they decide to be able to buy the property, you know, five years down the line or, you know, three years down the line or whatever the case may be. Now, why would someone want to do a lease option? Well, a lot of times, people aren't really in the position to go to the bank to go get a loan to go buy a house. Most people go to the bank and get financing, write a mortgage. They may not be in the best position, so they can do a lease option, which means they put down a down payment, or sorry, they put down an option fee, which is not refundable, right? It's just an option fee for that for, for them to hold that price. So when they are ready to buy the property, because maybe they've worked on their credit, they have some more income coming in, they can go actually go buy the property. Now, it's great for an investor because you still own the property. So you're not selling it on terms or selling it owner finance 
clients are selling it, you know, in any way where you aren't still the owner and and don't get the benefits of owning the property. If you do a lease option, you still get depreciation. You still get, you know, the tax, you know, the, the, well, obviously depreciation tax benefits. You know, you get that benefit of being able to own the property and of course the cash flow and things like that. Um, now you don't get, well, you can get appreciation, but you don't get it if they execute the option, right? Because let's say that property appreciated in the, in the next like three years by 50 grand. Well, if they can execute their option, they actually execute it on the price that they agreed with you, you know, three years prior, then you don't get to capture, you know, that, that, that equity. But what it does is it allows you to put yourself in a position to give them the option to, but if the sell, if the interested buyer does not execute on that, then you actually get to raise the, the, the potential purchase price now at whatever the new value of that property is. And you can get another option fee from someone and, and get higher rents. Cause usually if someone's going to lease option, their, 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 their monthly payment is probably going to be a little bit higher. Um, you know, because it's almost like it's their property. Um, but not, and again, not trying to go too in depth with that, but hopefully you understood the concept of lease option in general. It's the, it's leasing the property with the option to buy it later, otherwise known as rent to own. They're renting it with the option to own it later on. Uh, definition number 10. Whew, so we've gotten through some pretty good definitions. Let's kind of re- recap. We're not going to go in depth with all of them, but we, we got wholesaling assignment. We got number two, close of escrow. You know, basically selling the property, buying the property, or buying the property, and then it's actually closing and selling um, on that date. You got title search, you know, looking at, okay, what's the history of this property? Are there any liens? Are there any issues? That's the title search. You got due diligence period, the period that you're, you know, walking through, walking a property, or you're doing your due diligence to make sure that the numbers you agree to with the seller or if you're a buyer, you know, um, or if you're a seller with the buyer, whatever it may be, there's a due diligence period where that person, that buyer is, is, is figuring out and making sure it all makes sense. You have number five, proof of funds. You know, it's you being able to show that you can execute. You have funds to be able to buy this property. Um, HUD, it's a HUD document showing all the transactions of the property, or sorry, uh, of this close, you know, of this closing, you know, the buyer and seller, what the seller is receiving, what the buyer is paying, et cetera, the HUD document. Um, Number seven, on, off market. So a property, if it's listed by realtor, it's on the market, on market. If it's not, it's off market, direct to seller. PITI, the total mortgage payment, principal, interest, Taxes and insurance, property taxes and insurance on the property, the total payment of that. And then rent to own, we just explained it, being able to rent the property with the ability to own it later on, lease option. Now, number 10 is ARV. So after repair value, that is so important, especially if you're wholesaling real estate, but really in general, even if you're fixing and flipping and things like that, you really are wanting to figure out what the market value or after repair value, the value of this property after it's repaired. Now, again, trying to avoid going too in depth with this, but the way you find that generally the ARV is by looking at comparable or what we say comps in this industry. You're looking at comps that were are within a half a mile, maybe may, maybe furthest a mile um, of properties that are fully renovated, totally renovated that have sold within the last six months or 12 months at the latest, because you want to get an idea. Okay. If, if this three bed, two bath I'm looking at you know, was fully renovated, what should it sell for? So you look at other properties around that that are pretty close nearby. Um, and if let's say there's two or three, three bed, two baths that have sold for anywhere around 150,000, maybe one was 147, another one was 156, 154. Then you got to get an idea of like what that ARV is. If your property was fully renovated, it should sell for that number as well. 150, 155, because though that's what's showing in terms of comps in that area. So that's what ARV is after repair value. So guys, that 
is a definition episode for you. The 10 words and terms that you should know if you're in real estate investing. Again, wholesaling and assignment, close of escrow, title search, due diligence period, proof of funds, HUD document, on market, off market, PITI, rent to own, and ARV. Those are some terminologies you're going to hear in this industry, and you definitely want to make sure you uh, know what they are. So um, if that was helpful, guys, share this with some other individuals that are learning and trying to grow as well. Um, And guys, please, please, please subscribe and leave an awesome review. As you can hear, I'm just trying to pour my heart out and help you guys in growing in your real estate investing in your business and your career. So the more reviews I get, then the better that this podcast will reach other people and it will complete my mission of helping as many people as possible get involved in real estate investing and change their life. So Anyway, guys, those are some 10 terms that I I think that'll help you um, as you learn and study them. Let me know if there's any way that I can help you. Let me know if maybe some of these didn't really make sense and you need more clarity, then reach out to me. And um, yeah, you can connect with me on the links in the show notes. But have a great day and I'll see you guys on the next episode. This has been another episode of the Amputee Investor Podcast with your host, Miles Berrio. 